Thank you. Be seated for just a moment. Uh, Wednesday is a very, very important day in the life of our nation. It is Veterans Day. If you're a veteran having served in the armed forces of our country, would you stand? Thank you for what you've done and uh, for what you mean to this country. Uh, we, we have others, of course, here who are first responders and uh, in all kinds of ways involved. And for you, we indeed are grateful. And we may not say it often enough. I would judge it is at least of somewhat importance that it's one of those days in which Congress has not yet moved to Monday, and it's still that day. So we hope you are honored and feel that. And uh, of course, many of us in this room would have parents or aunts and uncles or grandparents who particularly served in World War II and Korea, Vietnam, and those kind of areas. So we want to remember them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God, we thank you for this day and for this week. As we've already realized in you and afresh that life and death are really gifts over which you're King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we join with our brothers and sisters who have lost loved ones this week. And we ask you to comfort as only you can. Uh, thank you for the testimony of Jeff Guy. says he felt your presence there at that moment when you reached and took his dad home. And uh, Father, here in town, the same, and we're grateful. We are thankful for our veterans, and we're reminded when we think about the gospel of your sacrifice for us, and in some sense that easily translates for us in remembering the sacrifice of others as well. Thank you for our veterans. Help us honor them, show them appreciation, in some cases, there are unique things that certain ones of us can be involved in and ministry to them, and we're grateful for those as well. Father, we lift our search committee, our pastor search committee to you again this day. Thank you for them and the work that they've done and are doing and the time they have given and are giving. And Father, we pray that you keep them right in the very center of your will and we ask you to hasten the day in which they have that announcement that they believe you're calling a person to come and serve in this place. In the meantime, help us be faithful to you and teach us what it is to live in hope, even with an eye on the clouds and an ear listening for the trumpet and the hope we have in the return of Christ to the earth. 
We ask these things in the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, our Lord, your Son, our Redeemer, in his name, amen. Our children may be dismissed to Children's Church at this time, and uh, we hope you have a blessed time there together. I will ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 7 and go through verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and keep your Bibles open for I want to do something just a little different this morning. Peter writes... Hear it as though it were the morning newspaper. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do it so as one who is speaking the utterances of God and who is serving by the strength in all things God may be... Let me start that over. For the whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then go ahead and flip over to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, I want you to hear this as we begin. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken of beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water 
through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved by fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Now, the end of all things is at hand. The Lord Jesus is coming again. And I want you to fix that solidly in your mind. We can know that if we have confidence in the promises of God. Mind you, I have not counted them, but someone has said that there are 30,000 promises of God, from God, in our copy of the English Bible. How many of God's promises has he broken? Another has said that in the pages of the New Testament, there are three, some 300 references to the return of Christ to the earth. It is said throughout the scripture. It is there again and again. John chapter 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord's Supper proclaims that Jesus is coming again. Every time we come to celebrate communion, we're stating our belief that Jesus is indeed coming again. It is the promises of God. Again and again, you can trust it. We can know if we understand that denial does not alter the promise. Uh, Peter points out there that that while there may be those who do not believe or who deny, even as they indeed are in our time, it does not alter that. We can know if we understand that delay does not alter the promise. Sometimes we say out of sight, out of mind, all these years and the Lord has not come back yet. But did you hear one day is with the Lord as a thousand years? And a thousand years is one day. 
It's only been a little over two days in God's timing, and God is never, ever late. We can know if we understand that God's patience postpones it. Why doesn't Jesus come back now? Friend, one reason he has not come back yet is so you can be in church today. If you've not yet become a believer in Jesus Christ, one reason he's not come back yet is he wants to give you plenty of opportunity to respond to the grace of God in Christ. One of the reasons he's not come back yet is you have those in your family who, who need to hear the story, maybe from you. Delay so that others may be ready. Now, having kind of laid that foundation from Second Peter chapter 3, I, I, I want us to turn back to our Keep Hope Alive in First Peter. It's hard for us to understand the hope that Christ brought to those first century believers. Remember, they were pilgrim people often suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I, I want you to hear words from Tacitus. He is a Roman historian, and he writes during the reign of Nero, understand what our brothers and sisters of long ago faced. Tacitus wrote that Nero to scorch the rumor, the rumor being that he had set fire to Rome himself. Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty a class of men loathed for their vices, whom the crowd styled as Christians. Christus, from whom they got their name, had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate when Tiberius was emperor, and the pernicious superstition was first those who confessed themselves Christians were arrested. Next, on their disclosure, a vast multitude were convicted, so much, not so much on the charge for all arson as for hatred of the human race. Can you imagine? And their death was made a matter of sport. They were covered in wild beast skins and torn to pieces by dogs or were fastened to crosses and set on fire to offer to serve as torches by night when days Light failed. Nero had offered his garden for the spectacle and gave an exhibition in his circus, mingling with the crowd in the guise of a charioteer 
are mounted on his chariot. And it was to this kind of people who dared to live out their faith no matter what it costs that Peter says, keep hope alive, keep looking up. And then he, he wants them to understand that God has a timing, the end of all things is come. It is coming. Now, would you like me to tell you exactly when he's going to come again? Well, Jesus said the Father had not told him yet. And it would be a bit arrogant if I tried to tell you, don't you think? But it's at hand. It's real. It's part of our hope. And the interesting thing, though it's always had a fascination for believers of every age, and there have been those and every age who have tried to identify the time of his coming, and many of them have had their calendars. But generally, the Bible wants us to realize that the answer, the quest is not so much when he's coming as the fact that he is and how ought we to live until he comes. If we really believe that the end is near, what should our lives be like? How should we then live? And it's this text I want to take us to. For one thing, if we believe that the end is near, we're to stay prayerfully alert. Prayerfully alert. Two magnificent words there. Be of sound judgment. That is, be clearly focused, serious. Not so much, the, not the kind of person who can never laugh or have any joy but the kind of person who can look at what is going on around you and understand that the hand of God is moving and that God indeed is at work. Looking to the things of God and not the things of man. Looking to the purposes of God and not the pain that may somehow be a part of your life. And then he says to be sober, to be of sober spirit. Now, that word can mean uh, to not be inebriated with wine or alcohol, but that's not what it means here. What it means here is to be uh, focused uh, to be living not with a sense of frenzy and wringing your hand and in a sense of fear and maybe even a sense of doubt it is to be living with eyes fixed upon the expectation that you have in Jesus Christ 
And then you do that, he says, for the purpose of prayer. Why do we have such a hard time with prayer? You know, I, I sometimes feel, after all these years, that I, I'm yet in the kindergarten of prayer. You ever find that? I wonder what Peter thought about when he wrote this. I wonder if his mind went back to that night when he was with Peter and John and in the garden. And Jesus turned and looked at them and said, stay here and pray, stay awake with me. And he went forward to pray. And it's at that time, of course, that he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And remember, Jesus came back to Peter and James and John, where he told them to stay awake and pray. Remember what they were doing? Were sleep. And he spoke to them again and then went back and prayed some more and he came back and again they were asleep. I wonder if that had something to do with the fact that just a few hours after that, Peter had denied his Lord. He said he had never do that, but remember he did it. And so I think there, there's a strong sense of what he's talking about here as he looks at people like you and me who may be living in difficult times and says, stay alert, stay sober for the purpose of prayer. If you sleep through those times, you'll not have strength in the hour of temptation and trouble. And so we must hear that. But he has something else to say to us. He says, stay fervent in love. He, of course, here is talking to the body of Christ. He's talking to you and me. He said this to us again and again, I think, because it is so easy for us to forget it. Above all, he says, above all, stay fervently in love. Uh, that, that word fervently there is, is descriptive of the, of the track runner who's running for the end of the race to win and, and the race is closed and he's stretching forward with all he has so that he might hit the tape before anybody else does with that kind of fervency. Stay close in love. Well, it covers a multitude of sins, he says. What does he mean about that? Well, it is the blood of Christ, of course, who forgives, that forgives sin. It is the sacrifice of Jesus that, that, that forgives sin. But if we're living near the end, if today the clouds might split and the trumpet might sound and our Lord might come, then we don't want to have just spent our time criticizing one another. We don't want just now to spend our time judging one another. We want to lift one another, challenge one another, grow one another, 
stay together as a family of God, ministering to one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's exactly what that is calling us to and what it means. And then he says, in light of the fact, stay aggressively hospitable. Aggressively hospitable. Now, did you notice that one another occurs two more times in those two verses? Love one another. Be hospitable to one another. To all who are in the body of Christ. You, you know, we we're so busy and, and we have so many eating places and responsibilities and stuff. One of the things that, that's a problem in, in almost every church I've been in the last few years is that we don't have time enough for one another. When is the last time you had someone in your home? You know, I grew up, my, my mother was a wonderful chocolate pie maker, and praise the Lord, Pat has a recipe. And she's just about as good now as Mama was. But, but I can remember all those times when Mother would say after church on Sunday night, just bake the chocolate pie, y'all stop by. So I grew up getting to know other deacons in our church that kind of thing. Be hospitable without grumbling. You ever grumble about having to get things ready? Fixed in my mind today. There's a time back at Hopewell Baptist Church route to Talpa, Texas in Reynolds County. Pat had been out there with me a few times and I had asked her if she would marry me and she had said she would. I invested my life savings at a local jewelry store. I bought a $200 diamond ring. If you have a good magnifying glass, you can even see the diamond. And we got back out to Hopewell Baby's Church on Sunday and she got out of the car. And she did what you girls do when you've just been engaged. You know how you go in. And somebody said, oh, you have a ring. Oh, you noticed? And all those ladies, all the WVU ladies who thought I'd never find anybody, really, I'd never find anybody like her, they came gathering around and they were ooing and aahing except for one lady, Ms. Foreman. Now, Ms. Foreman was a wonderful lady. Um, but you know what she said that day? Well, I guess this means we'll have to plan another shower. And it has lived with us these years. Now, they did do a wonderful shower, and we have a friendship blanket that they did. But how different that response was. And there's a call to us, because we know that God is sovereign and in control 
and because we're to love one another, that there's to be an openness to one another. John Henry Jowett wrote years ago some words I want you to get. He said, there is love whose measure is that of an umbrella. There is love whose inclusiveness is that of a great marquee. And there is love whose comprehension is that of the immeasurable sky. The aim of the New Testament is the conversion of the umbrella into a tent and the merging of the tent into the glorious canopy of the all-enfolding heavens. Push back the walls of family love until they include the neighbor. Again, push back the walls until they include the stranger. And again, push back the walls until they comprehend the foe. That is your calling. And there is a reminder that we're to consider our homes a place of ministry. You know, that was particularly true, of course, in the early church because of the lack of inns. And uh, they, they were challenged to open their homes, even to strangers. And that is why, incidentally, the, the apostle Paul warned people in the light of the Lord's return to stay at work and not quit and live off others. But we're to use our homes. And then the end is at hand. We're told to stay focused in ministry. How many ministers does First Baptist Church Mason have? How many do we need? Well, we're going to have a pastor. We have some wonderful lay pastors. We have some deacons. Do you know what the perspective of the New Testament is? It is that every child of God in the church is to be a minister, a servant. You're one of the ministers needed here. And if God has called you to this place and this church, he's called you here because this church needs you in its ministry you, you have a gift. When you receive Christ as your Savior, you get a spiritual gift, at least one. Every one of you who names Christ as Lord of your life, you have a gift, and God gives you that gift. And guess what? He does not give you that gift so that you can glory in the gift. He gives you that gift so that gift can be used in the life of the church. You and your gift. For some, the gift is a gift of speaking. And he says, if your gift is a gift of speaking, 
You're to speak as though you were utter, doing the utterances of God. You're, you're to speak from the very word of God. And if you're speaking from God's word or you're teaching God's word, you have the authority to speak. If that is your gift, use it wisely. But for some of you, you have the gift of service. And notice what he has to say there. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies. Because if you do it in the strength you supply, you're going to get tired. You're going to burn out. You're going to wear out. But if you do it each day with the strength that God gives you that day, you'll have the strength for each day. And if God has given you enough health to be on your feet, and if God has given you enough help to be in worship, then God has a purpose and a place and a need for you in your gift of service in this congregation. Aren't you grateful for the pie bakers? Aren't you grateful for those who can say a kind word when there's been a loss? Aren't you grateful? For those who can take care of children in a nursery. Aren't you grateful for those who can go to youth camp and survive? Aren't you grateful for a place of service? But it is all for others in the church. And the day of the Lord will come as a thief. In the night, you can't say, I'm going to get ready. You can't say, I hope to be doing thus and so when the Lord comes again. You have to be doing it, doing it, and the purpose for it all. So that in all things, God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. He's coming back. He's coming back. I don't know when. But I know it'll be right in his time. And you know... As a pastor over 50 years now, I've found myself many times longing. Wouldn't it be great if he came back today and we could all go together? Not have to go to the cemetery anymore. But until that, do you realize the very last prayer of the Bible on the very last page of Scripture. Remember it? Even so, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Father, thank you for your word. Let it let it never seem repetitive to us. 
give us the capacity to, to let your word bathe us and shape us into all that you want us to be. And particularly when you've given us your promise that one day you'll come for us. Help us live like it. Help us live like we expect it today or tomorrow. Help us live so that there's no great change because we're already living with the full glory of God in mind. And Father, may that be our prayer every day in every way for all day. Father, this morning as we pause for this time, you, you have business with us. And we ask you to speak. And for those who need to come publicly, may they come. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe this is the day that if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sin, be your Lord. You can come and we'll help you with that your day. Don't miss it. Maybe God has spoken to you about moving membership and life into this church. If so, we welcome you. Come. Come. Maybe you need prayer. That you come. You can come and kneel at the altar. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'll pray with you we might live with the expectancy of his coming. And as you sing, see yourself excitedly yielding again to God. Let's stand together. Let's